1 Corinthians chapter 1 was our supernatural salvation. Chapter 2 is supernatural wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it is our life, our sustenance, our protection, our guide, Lord, with the Holy Spirit. Lord, that leads to your right hand. Lord, that is the path of blessing even in trial. Lord, I pray that you would increase our desire, our love, our hunger for it. That it might saturate everything in life, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul knows what he's going to deal with. It's not like we're reading this and then he gets to the next subject, you know. He knows what he's writing about. He's going to write some instruction to these people about their factious spirit, how they're choosing one over another, and they're split in their loyalties, so they're split in their church. They have all kinds of sin, immorality. They're suing one another in court because money's more important than their brother. They can't even have communion and have peace because everybody's so critical. Rich people are critical to poor people. Poor people are critical to rich people. Critical if somebody follows Paul and not Apollos. I mean, it's a mess. And yet, he calls them saints. Saints. So he wants to bring them back and remind them their salvation was supernatural because the Holy Spirit revealed to them supernatural wisdom in the gospel. They didn't do that on their own. And it wasn't about Paul's personality or Paul's abilities or even Paul's giftedness. But it was simply about the Holy Spirit using the gospel that Paul was striving to share in their hearts. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God and the salvation. God gets the glory for our salvation. Now, I love the fact that we have a church full of people that love to share the gospel. If you find that you're starting to be critical of other Christians, you're probably not sharing the gospel enough. Because if your focus gets on a lost world, you'll find you have less criticism for everybody else. You know, the guy that got limber, spread on his mustache, and then woke up and he thought the whole world stinks. No, it was just him. But when you get your focus on lost people and you want to love lost people like Jesus, pretty soon you're not so concerned about how your brother is not just quite hitting the mark the way you would all the time, right? And he wants them to be established once again in the Word of God. Remembering that what they have in the gospel is supernatural. The world doesn't recognize it. But they need to remember that. Verse 1, when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with the superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the gospel. He reminds them again in 1 Corinthians 15 what the gospel is. Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and he rose again the third day. I grew up in a culture 
that believed evangelists were the guys with five sermons, five suits, and a fifth-wheel trailer. And they came to your church maybe for a week or two, and they were the professional that did evangelism. So the rest of us ignorant sheep, we just herded all the lost fish by the professional fishermen. And that's sad because people miss out. When you think that you've got to have... Now listen, like I said last week, invite people to church. That's awesome. Invite them to church. You know what they're going to hear here. But you have the gospel. You can share it too. So I don't know enough. You start sharing the gospel, you'll know a lot more. So how does that work? Because you're going to run into a question. They're going to bring you a question, and they're going to think, nobody ever asked this question before. This is a huge question, and you won't be able to answer it. Then I don't have to get saved. I can go to hell because you can't answer this question. Really? Is that what they want? And they'll say, all right, how about all the people that never heard? Well, you may not have an answer for it, but if you come the word of God or you come to a pastor you come to David Grafe you come to Sam you come to somebody here and we'll say oh yeah there's an answer for that song or Romans 1 19 and 20 without excuse no excuse and the other thing God knows about that now let's get back to you don't worry about all the other lost people what about you where are you going to go when you spend eternity what happens is they're going to come up with some questions and it's not wrong to say man that's a good question I do not know the answer to that question but I will find it out because I believe God has an answer for that question. That's just honest. And people appreciate honesty more than somebody has a little Paul Parroted routine down and they just run them through. And then if I do this little program on you, boom, you're going to heaven. That's not how it works. It work that way with Paul, with these people in Corinth that got true, they were truly saved. They were saved because God, in his sovereignty, reached down when the gospel was preached and opened their eyes to their lost condition. You don't get saved without God's power. You can share the gospel as clearly, as plainly as you want to until it's God's timing and God opens their eyes. Nothing's going to happen. Now, do you share the gospel in you? Yes, you do. The Bible says the sower goes out to sow, and he just gets the gospel on everything. He just sowing it everywhere. In the sowing, some falls on the stony ground, some falls among the reeds, some falls on the roadway, but some falls on the good soil. Whose job is that? God's job. God's the one that prepares the soil of the heart. Our job, scatter the seed. Just get it out there. Share the gospel. But when somebody gets saved, it isn't because of the evangelist. It isn't because of the seeds caster. It's because God has prepared that heart. So if you're praying for Sam and the team that's going down St. George, what what should be praying? That God prepares hearts down there. We're going to read a verse here in 1 Corinthians. It's so precious. God tells Paul, I've got a lot of people in that city, and they're not saved yet. But they're God's, and he's going to get them. God never misses one he set his affection on. Isn't that good? Or you might have missed it. He's established them once again in the truth that this is about supernatural information, supernatural wisdom, supernatural Holy Spirit that uses his supernatural word in our life. He goes on to say, listen, when I was there, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, I read a commentary that I really trust. He said, well, obviously, Paul wasn't really scared. That's not what he's saying. No, that's what he was saying. How do you know that, Paul? Because of what the Bible says in Acts chapter 18, verse 9. 
Paul's preaching. People are getting saved. Even Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, gets saved. And I think Paul's saying, okay, here it comes. I'm sure he didn't share it with anybody else, but the Holy Spirit knows our heart. And it says there in Acts 18.9, The Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer. Well, God knew that he was afraid up till now. He says, you don't have to be afraid any longer. He was afraid. He was preaching the gospel in fear and in trembling, and people were getting saved. Why? Because it wasn't about Paul. About the gospel. It's about the Holy Spirit using the gospel. Paul, in spite of being afraid, was faithfully sharing the gospel. That's what he was doing. And God knew what he needed. God is so good. He knows exactly what you need. He knew exactly what it was going to take for you to get saved. you know that? Old preachers used to talk about the hounds of heaven. Those angels, it says in Hebrews 1, that were sent for our salvation, uh, keeping you alive getting you where you needed to go in the right circumstance, all that, whether you read a Gideon Bible in a hotel room or somebody invited to church or you heard the gospel message on the radio or you went to a youth activity or you had a circumstance that you were just totally devastated. God, in his grace, knew exactly what you needed and he got you there. Now, we praise the Lord for the people that he used, right? Those people that were faithful and said, hey, come to my house, we're having a Bible study. I think we have something you could use. Hey, come to my church. Man, we love people at our church. We just want to share the gospel. We just preach the Bible. That's all we do. And you're thankful for them, but you know, and Paul's reminding them, it wasn't about them. It wasn't about me, Peter, Apollos. It was about the Holy Spirit that set his affection on you and drew you to himself. Listen, in our rebellion, there is no way on our own we would seek for God. We just, we got the answers. And that's why I tell you, when you're witnessing to a friend and they say, get out of here, never say that again, I don't want to hear from you again, at least you're having an effect. The gospel's having an effect. Don't be afraid of that. Just keep praying. And pray for, for God as we send people out, as, as we send, Lord willing, Gresham and Jason to Scotland. People say, well, you know, that used to be the land of the book. They had their, too hard there now. No, 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 no. God doesn't do things just for nothing. He's going to take precious Jason and Gretchen from here. He's got a job for them to do, and it's going to be amazing. But our part, pray that God prepares hearts. Pray that God does that. God lays somebody on your heart, a friend. He doesn't do that for nothing. Start praying. And maybe you start thinking about, hmm, well, they're going to have this objection and that objection. Then you start digging, get in the Word and start digging, and then be ready for an opportunity to speak God's Word in their life. God's Word. Verse 4, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. He said, you got saved because of God's power, not because of my power. It's God that put you in that half Nelson. It's God you were wrestling with. That was God that turned the light on. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, you got saved because of the power of God, and he equates it to the creative power of God when he spoke light into darkness. Isn't that amazing? Do you realize what power you have, you holding your hands in the gospel of Jesus Christ? You can look at somebody, and you might think in your own flesh, Whew, They'll never get saved. 
They hate God. Look at these things. They grew up in a home where they had a father that was abusive, and he talked about church and God, so they could never get saved. God is not intimidated by that. He is not. Well, they're so affluent, and they just have so much. And the Bible says a rich man hardly can't get saved, and so I don't think, I don't know. With men, these things are impossible. With God, all things are possible. So he said, when you look back, and God said, let light shine into your dark heart, it's shown in the face of Jesus Christ, the power of the gospel, and you got saved. That was God. Paul wants them to be established in that. That was God that saved you. You may have some fear and say, what if I hadn't gone to that meeting? What if I'd said no once more like Pharaoh and I've been confirmed in unrighteousness? What if? No, no, no. God never loses one. Do you know that? Isn't that good? Otherwise, we might have missed it. God never loses one. So when God lays somebody on your heart, you know what he's doing? He wants you to see this. He wants to watch this. You say, but Lord, I don't. I don't think they can get saved. God said, watch this. He puts them on heart. What do you start doing? You start praying. My wife prayed for her unsaved dad from the time she was about 13 or 14 when she came to Christ. And 20 years later, so he got saved. And what joy. What absolute joy. The joy is even greater because we prayed longer. God puts them in your heart because he wants to, God wants you to see his creative power at work. And the greatest miracle is when somebody goes from darkness to light. He goes on, verses 6 through 9, and he said, not only do you have a supernatural salvation that has come from the supernatural power of God in the gospel, but you have supernatural information. Special revelation. That's what the scripture is. It's special revelation. Holy men of God spake as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God that proceeds from God. Every word is power. It's life. It's protection. It's guidance. It's supernatural. He said, so... We do share that information with one another, verse 6. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. Wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. The word of God. It is so precious. God's will is so mysterious to those that aren't believers. And God begins to work in your life, and he gives you a joy about something, and you want to share it with the world. And Well, that's nuts. Why would you go be a missionary? You're not going to get ahead during that, doing that way. Well, hold it, hold it. I mean, you only want to date Christians? I mean, wow. That's kind of hard. So, no, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to be obedient. See, what God calls you to is not necessarily, in fact, most of the time, the world's going to say, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. Don't, let, don't become a slave to Jesus. You need to be free. 
No, no. God calls you to serve him. I love this verse. You see, when you're obedient to the word of God, when you walk by faith, you cannot imagine God's blessing for your life. You cannot imagine the victory he's going to let you walk in, the things he's going to let you see if you just are obedient. Things which I have not heard, nor ear, nor, I, I have not seen nor ear heard. You can't even imagine it. You cannot imagine God's will for your life if you're just willing to submit and follow him. You can't imagine it. Now, thirdly, not only do you have supernatural information in the Word of God, you see, there, it's, it's set out so clearly in Psalm 19. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, night unto night shows knowledge. There is no speech, there is no language. Their voice is not heard, but the knowledge of God has gone out through all the earth. In it He has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is a strong man that rises up to run a race. What God is saying is, you cannot look at creation without understanding that there's a designer and a creator. But you can't get saved by that. The next verse says, the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord. Then it says the testimonies of the Lord. The wisdom of the Lord. What is that? That's the word of God. It takes the word of God, the law to shine on our life, to show us our guilt. It takes the testimony of the Lord, what God has done in lives of people in the past that are written down in Scripture for us to have hope that maybe God could save us too. The precepts of the Lord, the principles of the Lord, the wisdom for life. That's special revelation. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. But just the information itself is not enough. We need a teacher, somebody to explain it to us. We need the grace of God that it will empower us, give us hope to trust in the word of God that he's given us. And this passage of scripture is so pivotal to everything else he's going to teach and is so important for you to get this little passage in your heart that you're not alone. God desires to lead you personally today. What he says. Verse 10, for to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all the things, even the depths of God. Okay, God knows everything. He knows you're rising up and you're sitting down. He knows the day of your birth and He already knows the day of your death. He has gifted you on purpose. He has gifted you for a purpose. He knows what opportunity He's going to bring into your life. He knows all those things, and he wants you to know them, so he needs you listening to him. We read it there in Psalm 32, verse 8. I would guide you with mine eye upon you. Now, when you're a brand new Christian, God's opened doors and he shuts doors, and he still does that. But he doesn't have to lead you only by circumstance. He wants you to be close enough that he can whisper into your heart and you hear him. He can guide you by bringing a verse of scripture, and it brings comfort. Verse 11, this is just practical, it's true. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Now, you know, somebody maybe had a bad grapefruit for breakfast and they come into church and they got that look of indigestion on their mouth, on their, on their face. And, and, and you look at them and you say, oh, they don't like me anymore. They wouldn't even say hi. And they're going, oh, my stomach hurts, right? 
You don't know what's, what they're thinking. Well, I know what they're thinking. You might say that about your husband. I know what you're thinking. You don't really know what he's thinking. You've probably lived with him long enough. You know what move he might make. But, but you really don't know what he's thinking. God does. And God knows what he's thinking. And so we always are teaching here. God is always at work all the time, right? He's always at work. It's not on us to have a big plan we think of for God. Oh, God, I got this huge idea for you. This big enough for you? No, no, no. That's silly. You can't imagine. We just read in verse 9. You cannot imagine God's will, so quit trying. What our focus ought to be is to walk closely to God so that we can just follow him through anything. I mean, I've heard those messages. I've read those books. They're really, you know, get your spirit up. God wants you to have a big, huge, audacious goal. Behag. No, he doesn't. He just wants you to follow him. That's so much simpler. So much easier. Just, that's what he told Peter. God laid it out there. He said, one day, Peter, you're going to be so faithful for me, they're going to crucify you just like they did me. Peter's like, whoa, too much information. What about John? Oh, come on, I got, what about John? He said, well, if he lives till I return, that's not your business. You follow me. It's going to happen a step at a time, Peter. It's going to be your choice. Just follow me. He has a plan for your life, but are you listening? Are you listening? Now, verse 12, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Isn't that awesome? Think about this. The God who created the world, the God who just breathed out the stars. It says in creation, you know, he did this and he did that, and he made the stars also. Like, oh, yeah, that's right, stars, poof. The psalmist said he breathed them out. That's our God. The one star David Martin showed us several years ago, we watched a, a video about how huge the solar system is and these different suns. Betelgeuse makes our sun look like a speck. Our God went, that's it. Here's the amazing thing. He cares about your little and my little puny life. Sometimes we think God's left us on our own, you know, like the Ben, ben Franklin deism. You know, well, he gave us these tools. I guess I got to figure it out. God helps those that help themselves. Uh-uh. He cares about every step. He knows you're uprising and you're, 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 you're sitting down. He knows the day of your birth. He knit you together in your mother's womb. That's particular. He knew the day you were going to come to him. He's not surprised by that. He knows all he has planned. And he says, would you come and talk with me? What if the president, Donald Trump, called and said, I need your input on, and we'd all have something to say. We'd all say, oh, man, I got something to tell the president. God wants to hear from you. And he wants you to listen to him. And he's giving you the Holy Spirit. He's given you spiritual eyes and spiritual ears so you can do that. Now look at this amazing verse. Verse 13, which things we also speak. This is, Paul says, that's what I came to you, these spiritual words. Not taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. There it is. Spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Now, 
Just because you have a thought doesn't mean it's God, you know. You go home and tell your wife, I got a thought, right? I got a thought. Why don't we buy a new truck? That may not be God. Some of you guys are looking around and you see in class another girl and she is fine and you know she's not a Christian, but you say, I think I'll date her and bring her to the Lord. That wasn't God. Because the Bible says you're not to be unequally yoked, and so you don't have that option. And as uh, Pastor Hutchinson used to say, it may not be a sin to date an unsafe person, but it is a stupid. Because you'll get tangled up, and pretty soon you'll just think you have to marry him, you can't live without him, and you'll find yourself in a situation that you could have avoided. But there you are now. Now what's God's will? Stay married. That's God's will. So just because you have a thought doesn't mean it's God. How do you know if it's God? You bring it back to the word of God. What does God say? You have an opportunity to bring it to other wise counsel. Not people that agree with you, but people that will tell you honestly what they think the Bible says about that. But God does you, guide you with his eye upon you, so he's the one that can give you thoughts to lead you. And I tell people when they're going through really hard trials, are you listening now? Because God is going to can speak to you in a way because now you're in trouble, you're hurt. Maybe it's a, a, a financial thing or a business thing or maybe it's a loss of a relative or maybe the doctor said you have cancer and all of a sudden God has your attention. Are you listening? And he's going to bring scripture to your mind if you've put scripture in there. Now, he can guide you by his peace and not peace, but ultimately what he wants to do is guide you with his word, those spiritual words. These are the spiritual words. And I remember very powerfully where that started for me, where I began to really listen, and that was the death of our youngest son, Jesse. And Jesse died. And I remember that night, the Bible says God gives to his beloved in his sleep, and Chrissy just went to sleep, and I was so thankful for that. Not Paul. I was up all night watching boys breathe. Mm -hmm. A little boy died of SIDS. God just took him home. And so I thought, well, I must have failed somehow. And I tell people when they're grieving, you do what you want to do. You're going to do some things that don't make any sense to you, but God used this in my life. And so I built the fire. I put all the rest of the boys around me, and I watched them breathe all night. And then I'd go to the door, and I'd check it. Like death came in through the door, but I'd check the door. About the third time I checked the door, the Lord brought Psalm 23 to my mind. Yea, though I walk through the valley shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. And I just said, Lord, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm not a good dad. I must have done something wrong. That's, that's the thought Satan can bring. God's not, that, that Satan can bring too. And, and God's not intimidated by that. I said, I think I'm afraid. And the Lord spoke into my heart, not out loud, that, that's manipulative. You know, you, we've had these people that, that tell you, oh, God told me this, and so you have to do what I said because God told me. God can tell you too. Don't be manipulated by wicked people like that. God spoke to my heart, and he said this question, can you trust me now? Hmm. I had to think about that for a minute. The Lord brought Peter's words to my mouth. 
to my mind. Remember, the Lord was preaching there in John 6, and he's preaching his substitutionary atonement. You must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, or you're not part of me. And everybody went away. And Jesus' heart was sad. He turns to his disciples, and he said, are you going to go away too? Can you still trust me? Peter said, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? Peter didn't understand everything what Jesus was talking about, but he says, I know you have the words of life. The psalmist said, who do I have on earth but you, Lord? I got nothing, Lord. I got you. That's it. That's what I got. There are no options. I have to trust you. A couple days later, I went down to pick out a casket. And I remember I was passing by Gunslinger. We live in West Lamer. I was passing by Gunslinger. And Lord brought 1 Corinthians 10, 13, my mind. There is no trial taken you, but such is coming to man. And God is able to make a way through the trial. And just in my heart, I said, Lord, I think you overestimate my ability. And Lord whispered back to me, I wasn't looking at you, son. Mm-hmm. God wants to speak to you. I remember later, it was June 3rd, some years later, we were going through some real trials in the church, and I felt like I was all by myself. I, You know, Christy was behind me. Uh, my boys were still behind me, but I just felt like, Lord, I think I'd rather push cows. This is just getting ridiculous, you know. And I was sitting up there. I know it was June 3rd because I was watching a, them dig a, a well for a house we're building, and I was in Psalm 3. And Psalm 3 said, They say there's no help from God for you. That's what they thought. But you, O Lord, you're a shield about me, my glory, and the one that lifts my head. And I said, Lord, you've got to lift my head. And the Lord gave me three thoughts. And the first thought, I probably told you this before, but it's so precious to me. This is a high water mark in my life because God was leading me. And the first thought was, well, have those elders that you think want to get rid of you, have they told you you can't preach the gospel? No. Second thought was, are still people coming to Christ? Yeah. Third thought was, what are you worried about? This is my church. Oh, I'm telling you, I, got a, I literally had a chill up my spine. I literally like, whoa. God wants to speak to everybody. He didn't just speak to pastors. He wants to lead you. You have hard decisions coming because you built your house in the neighborhood where storms come through. Where's that? Every neighborhood. So you need to sink your roots down into the word of God and determine, like Daniel, I am not going to listen to the world. I'm going to be obedient. God, help me be obedient. And when those really, really hard trials come, And you're in prayer. That's why it's so important for you to be praying through the Psalms. Praying through Scripture. You say, I don't know what to pray. Just read. Like, for instance, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And whatever the Lord brings to your mind, you say, Lord, I'm so glad you're my shepherd. I am so thankful I have you. I shall not want. Lord, really, I know. I trust you. If I have something, I I know you're going to bring it to me. And Lord brings an unsafe friend to your mind. But Lord, my friend doesn't know you. Oh Lord, would you open their heart that you could be their shepherd too. And what you're going to find is, and maybe you know how you're praying and then your mind kind of drifts off? That just happens to all of us. And then the next line, read the next line. Pray that to God. 
pretty soon you're going to find you are having a conversation with God. Why? This is God's word. It's his word. And then you'll get used to hearing how God's voice sounds. What are his thoughts like? So as you're walking that path, those spiritual words, those spiritual thoughts will be that which you cleave onto. And you say, oh God, that was you. Oh, thank you. I needed that encouragement today. You go to the word of God and there's that passage you've read before, but he speaks to your heart with that same word. You go, oh God, thank you. I needed that today. Spiritual words and spiritual thoughts. He leads you. The Bible says he leads you by peace. He can lead you by circumstance. He can shut doors, but he wants to guide you with his eye upon you. So my own dad, if I was in a crowd of people when I was a young person, and I think my dad tried to figure out where in the world I came from sometime because he's such a stoic, he's got it all under control. He's very calm. My dad's just an amazing guy. He'd look at me bouncing off the walls, and he all he had to do was go like this. And I was like, oh, because I knew it was behind this pain. He could guide me with his eye upon me. I remember one time, I don't know if Lynn was there. Yeah, I think Lynn was there, and everybody was telling jokes, all kind of young person. There was a gathering, we're all telling jokes, and I had heard him and his friends telling some jokes. I thought, well, I'll just re-put those jokes. Those ought to be safe. My dad, he was laughing when his friend said it, and I said those jokes. They, they weren't dirty jokes. They were just kind of gross jokes, I guess, and, and oh, man. And I was a little angry because I was like, you laugh before. I guess it's not funny when I say the joke, right? But all he had to do was look at me, and I know I was done telling jokes. Because I have a relationship with my dad. When you have a relationship with the Lord and you actually fear him because you love him, he can guide you. You can hear his voice. You know what he sounds like because you're in his word all the time. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Then it goes on to the next verse, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let his word make a home in your life. So it affects every decision. But what is that peace? Listen, if you're a new believer, maybe you don't know enough of the word, but God's spirit is real. And your friends say, hey, let's just go over here. It sounds innocent. All of a sudden, you just have a check in your spirit. Listen to it. Uh, I, that's right. I don't think I need to do that. Why? Nothing wrong with it. You don't have to come over with, a, with an apologetic why it's right or wrong. Just say, I don't know. I don't have peace about it. <laughs> well, who are you? I just belong to Jesus. I'm his servant. I got to do what he says. He leads you with his peace, with his word, with his thoughts, with personal relationships. You make friends with godly men so you can say, listen, would you pray with me about that? That's why it's so important on our elder board that we come to the mind of Christ, what God wants for us and not just what this one or that one thinks. And Henry Blackaby in his book on spiritual leadership, listen, God gave you the idea, you take it to your men, God can give them the same idea, he can change hearts if he needs to, you can trust God in that, you don't have to talk him into anything, that's such a place of peace, God can do that. And the last part, what's the result? The result is, if you've received Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you can have the mind of Christ on every decision, in every trial, in every hard place. You can know exactly what Jesus wants you to do. 
you go, go to the Word and you go spend time with Him. Now, he says right there, listen, the world's not going to get it. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolish just to him. He can't understand them because they're spiritually appraised. They don't have the equipment for it. They don't have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. So you want to give Christian counsel to an unsaved person, they're going to go, thanks. They, don't have, they can't digest it. They don't understand it. But he says this, he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. You know you take from that? If you're following God's word, you're following God's spirit, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It does not matter. Maybe you're raising your kids as a Christian dad and Christian mom, and even some other people think, well, I don't think I'd do it like that. I don't care. You raise your kids the way God wants you to raise your kids, and I'll raise my kids the way I, want. I think God wants me to raise my kids. We don't have to do it by consensus. The world is definitely not going to get it. They're going to judge you for following the Lord, making Him first in your life, because they don't, have the same, they don't have the same balance scales. They don't have the same value system. And yet, he says, it won't matter to you. you could be, you're not going to be judged by anybody. Because you have the scripture, Romans chapter 8, 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? So who's going to judge you? God's the one who justifies. Who's the one that condemns? Christ Jesus is the one that died. But the opposite is true also. If you don't have Christ, you don't have wisdom. You don't have comfort. You don't have guidance. You're on your own. I've even seen believers that their life is like a pinball machine. They're the ball, and everything else is their circumstances. It's bouncing off, bouncing off. Stop. The Bible says in 46.10 of Psalms, Be still and know that I am God. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. But if you don't have the Lord, you're on your own, and that's a dangerous, awful lonely place to be. Father, we thank you for your word. As we gather around the table, Lord, I pray that you would bless our time together. Lord, give us as a people a voracious appetite for your word and a, and a tender spirit to hear your words and follow you wherever you might call us individually. And then, Lord, we'll give you all the glory because it's you working in our heart both to will and to do of your good pleasure. Lord, we thank you for being our shepherd. In Jesus' name.